and welcome to the Future Proof podcast from the north of England with Sarah and Stephen Waddington. We'll be talking about what's hot and what's not on the internet in marketing, media and public relations. Hey Sarah, how are you doing? Very, very good. Thank you very much. How are you? Sunday afternoon, we've managed to squeeze in a spot for the Future Proof podcast for May. Needs must. Let's get on with it. (laughs) Needs done. So uh, local elections, Noel Clark and the BAFTAs, PR Week Top 50, conferences coming back, ESG and a few other bits and bobs. Let's start, though, with the local elections in England, Scotland and Wales. Absolutely. So we have just seen or we're still seeing the results trickle through, aren't we? And um has been a good showing for the Conservatives. Of course, people will know this gives me pain, but to be fair, they have successfully marketed to right across certainly England and certainly to Labour Heartland, and uh, it's worked in their favour. And my question is, you know, where do Labour go next? Certainly, personally, as a a lifelong Labour voter, uh, I can see uh, why they're having problems they don't they don't stand for anything for me right now we don't hold shared values I kind of feel they have a view of being labor for the working classes but that's of a bygone age and um yeah it's it's just interesting to see what will happen next but I think um getting rid of the uh deputy leader who is a really strong leader and resonates with people like me was a very foolhardy move straight off so Boris certainly, so Boris and the Conservatives certainly seem to have benefited from the vaccine bounce and uh, this feeling and mood of optimism, especially as we're now also uh, emerging out of the second lockdown and maybe something that's in that. But you're right, Labour doesn't seem relevant. There's factions splitting in, in, in oh, Labour. Labour factions, though, it's just so boring. I mean, they, they literally have a bin fight, bun fight, bin fight, whichever you want, between <laughs> themselves every other week. And it's just boring now. It really is. I'm sick of hearing about Corbyn. I'm sick of hearing about Starmer. I want to hear about what the vision is. What is the vision? Well, Build me a vision. Go. And I know people have issues with Tony Blair, but you know what? New Labour stood for something. It meant something. There was an air of optimism right now. It's just, you don't get that feeling and it's really interesting as well because you can compare Labour versus the Tories in terms of success in fundraising and um, you know I can kind of understand why Labour doesn't come anywhere near and obviously the Tory party have huge donors raise an awful lot of money every year and and they're able to target a a greater number of people often through fairly unethical methods um, methods let's face it but they they can do it and they they have my money to spend on that so you know Labour really are on the back foot and you can see it because obviously the number of independents the number of greens that are now being elected just shows that people are desperate for change so we talk, you know we slate jeremy corbyn for for a momentum for going hard to the left but you know that did engage lots and lots of young people uh, who've been completely ignored by by the labor party equally you know the labor party just wants to ignore Brexit and isn't facing up to that truth. I wonder if it's time for something new to emerge, maybe a split in the Labour Party uh, and the centrists come together with the Liberals and the Greens. Yeah, I mean, you can see something like that happening. We just want something different. And I feel for the um, for the young voters because, you know, probably they'll have voted once or twice and it's probably not gone their way. And that must feel 
pretty miserable. And um, we all know when you get invested in a vote and you want change, it doesn't go your way. It's uh, it's it's tough. And, um, you know, a lot of the younger generation, they are people, they're mobilised, they're, they're more politically engaged than other generations before them. And that's really to be admired. And we mustn't lose that. I, well, I'm predicting there will be an emergence of, of something new. And I don't know where that's going to come from. And I don't know how it's going to occur. But I predict Boris's bump is going to be short lived uh, because, you know, you're already seeing cracks emerging around Brexit, around farming, around fishing. So, you know, it's going to get tougher for him, isn't it? In terms of you know, at the moment, everything you know is pretty good. But you've already had Nicola Sturgeon in Scotland promising this next referendum again on, on independence. That is not going anywhere. And she's given herself time to do that, she said, throughout you know this next political season. So there's plenty of time to come back to that. So he can't say, oh, no, COVID first, because she's going to say, absolutely, let's, let's find a way out. Yeah. And then we're going to do the referendum. But it's, it's not just that. We haven't seen austerity yet. There are, you know, we're, we're going to move into really quite a significant time of austerity like we've not seen before. You know, we, we haven't really had the worst of Brexit and we haven't had the worst of COVID. We're going to have to cover the spend that COVID has cost. So we're all going to have to tighten our belts and um, it'd be interesting to see how how the Tories respond to that. But given their due, and it's not often I do... Um, whether or not you like the levelling up agenda and whether it's actually meaningful when you look at it, they have been quite canny in how they have put some money around and, you know, talk about the region there that we're based in for the main, you know, the south of the northeast, Downs Tees Valley Way, you know, it's it's about time that they had that investment and and mayors like Ben Houchen deserve all the plaudits because they're making real difference and that's what people want to see. Let's move on. Actually, moving on from to to a really tricky story. Uh, I don't know. You know, you, you've got strong views on this. Um, so this is a story about director and writer Noel Clark, who was awarded the prize for outstanding. It is an outstanding British contribution to cinema by the British Academy. This happened about a month ago, despite two weeks earlier, BAFTA having been informed about the existence of sev- several allegations of abuse, bullying, and as it turns out, sexual harassment against Clark. Tricky issue for an organisation. How do you deal with third party allegations uh, in a situation like this? It raises questions over governance, right? Absolutely. And I think this was a difficult one for BAFTA, but. I don't think they acted quickly or assertively enough. And you can't um, use the excuse of the people making allegations not being um, direct employees to to kind of shuffle your way out of this. You know, that these were numerous allegations. BAFTA said they didn't have first-hand accounts, but we, there has to come a point where we start to listen and believe victims and not put the onus on them to do all the hard work. So, so, was, so here's... Here's the thing, right? We cannot in 2021 say it's important for organisations to to listen to victims and you know to to understand and you know face up to to allegations, but then not provide a means to do that, right? As part of any governance within any organisation, there should be a whistleblowing policy, and there should be a policy to deal with allegations like this even if it is just let's put this situation on the whole while we investigate it no absolutely so like surely you would there would be some kind of pending there and it's really interesting as Baptist said oh well we we offered people a chance to come forward and give their first person account we offered people counseling um I just don't I'm think sorry that that's goes nonsense. Far that's, enough. that's 
that's again expecting the victim to, well, to... Well, this is the point I was about to say in terms of, you know, um, Clark, whether or not he's guilty, because these are just allegations at present, you know, was across what, three, four different production companies. And the difficulty is, is each one says, well, if the, if the victims had come to us and given us their first-hand account, what you're asking is for every victim, of which there are, you know, a n- number of people have come forward here, th- at least three, if not more, who are on file, who are fairly big hitters within the industry you're expecting them to relive their personal experiences and the trauma of each allegation every single time and there has got to be a better way and it's not just you know this situation and it's not just you know the BAFTAs but there has to be a better way that in a way that victims can find a safe space to share their experiences which can be looked into and then that information shared with other third parties because we should not be expecting victims to have to relive that time and time again it should not be this difficult clearly this is uh, an issue the film industry is having to deal, deal with um you know it strikes at the harvey weinstein incident doesn't it where the me too incident that well was... the problem is is it's, it seems to be there's quite a widespread theme that people can get away with what's being termed tomfoolery and exuberance and there's kind of like set patterns of behaviour that which nobody's calling out because there is certainly, it's a hierarchical industry, isn't it, in terms of the people who've had more success seem to be able to call the shots and that absolutely has to change. If you're on set, that has to be safe, full stop. There's no two ways about it. And what's really, really sad, so I was listening to the, I love uh, the Guardians Today in Focus podcast and they've done a brilliant one on this particular subject and talked about how hard it has been for victims to come forward often because because they were very early in their career, because, you know, Clark has supported uh, young and emerging talent. And obviously, they were aware that it could adversely affect their career. And all, But also that some of them were, I think there's one lady that talked about how difficult it was because she's black and he's black. And that is so difficult. She was very aware about how difficult it is you know, for black, Asian and, and ethnic minority talent to, to break and break into this industry and make it. So it, it was a real ethical dilemma for her to speak out on a number of fronts. It's, it's a very complex area, but organisations have to get better at listening and acting more quickly. I do know that the chair of the charity of BAFTAs who was looking into this had very clearly said before they presented the award, words along the lines of this will be a reputational disaster if we are, are seen to have known about it and not acted. And 100% that nailed but they still failed in terms of implementation and and that's as far as I'm concerned. The fundamental point and you said it earlier is we're saying in society it's important to listen to 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 victims especially given uh, Me Too and issues around DNI yet when you listen to them you can't expect uh, you then need to have clear policies in place for dealing with the information you you give Absolutely. and that, that's that. and we can't we can't forget innocent and proven guilty there's a reason that our legal system works the way it does but equally you know you have to judge every single incident um, sorry yes innocent and pro- until proven guilty but also due process to investigate exactly that and also that obviously there's a got to be a number of alarm bells ringing if you're getting a scale uh in terms of the number of people coming forward It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I mean, obviously, we should say that Noel Clark has vehemently denied, uh, came out with a statement vehemently denying the charges, bar one incident in which he apologised for his behaviour. And um, since then, he has come out again with a second statement, which says that um, he will go and, and get some, I think it's training and support if his behaviours have been inappropriate and he's um, very sorry for any 
upset that they may have caused. So it will be interesting to see what happens next. But just sad to see the constant issues within this industry. And it is time and well overdue a clear up. All right, let's move on. Let's, let's talk on. about startups. Go on, startups. Let's do that. Well, yeah, I was going to jump into the post office then, but let's save that for next month. Um, <laughs> oh, that's going to run. Failure, that's going to run and run. Another total and utter failure of corporate governance. Right, income from the top 150 agencies, according to PR Week data published in the last two weeks, was down 4.3 percent to 1.36 billion. That's understandable given uh, the year we faced in in 2020, particularly with the tough Q2 as as COVID. Uh, impacted uh, and was began to felt and organizations uh, were challenged with dealing with lockdown they adapted through that uh, we rebounded in q3 and q4 but you know the, the impact on the industry is absolutely clear prca estimated that the impact in terms of employment will be between four and ten percent and that seems broadly consistent with what pr week reported however watch out report coming from wads inc in the next month uh, about tracking 50 agencies that have launched during COVID-19. So yes, uh, there has been a dramatic impact on the agency landscape in terms of uh, in terms of revenue uh, and headcount, but those people have found their way into creating their own agencies and doing really exciting things up to actually. And, and over 18 months, we've tracked where those agencies are, what they're doing, and it's a fantastic story. So that report's coming out from us before the end of May. Good. And um, we will no doubt give that big promotion at the time. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, we're, we're queuing up stories here, actually. I'm going to make a note of these uh, for, for next month because I definitely wanted to talk about the post office. But yes, we'll come back and talk to that. Um, PRCA has gone, gone really assertively, as you would expect the PRCA to do, and announced uh, its national conference is going to be in person. Uh, on the 8th of July, focused in, uh, inevitably on comments and influence post-pandemic. A uh, bold, brave move. It's kind of what you'd expect from Francis Ingham and the team at the PRCA, though, right? 100%. If anybody's going to go and, and do that, they're going to come out assertively. They do it quickly. And I, I really like their confidence, their bullishness. And um, you know what? They're just not frightened to try stuff. And it's that very Google type of approach in terms of fail fast, fail forward. They'll get closer to it. If it's not going to work, they'll make it online and it will work that way. But it's nice to see this. It's kind of heralding a new dawn in terms of moving back to what we we knew and we've missed this past 18 months so that's great so there's um as you said that's the 8th of july um but before that the cipr and it is an online event um they've got their 19th of may national conference great topic um climate change and the role of pr so that's quite interesting and and um that's followed uh, not long after by pr fest which is Laura Sutherland's uh, annual event and she I know she's had a, a subcommittee in there helping her devise this and uh, look at uh, the strategic approach but um, that's the 14th to the 18th of June and again lovely topics this is a, a very much around sustainability and I think they've broken that down into society planet corporate social innovation and the next generation so that's well worth looking out. So, so that's a mix, but yes, both of those events are virtual, the CIPR event and PR Fest. PR Fest spread over the course of a week and doing lots of different things on lots of different platforms. So something for everyone. But the Good sustainability is it's a nice segue into your and um, Dr. John White's ESG report, no? Uh, yeah, thanks for the intro. John White and I, over the last uh, couple of months, have, have 
done a piece of work on looking at the opportunity for ESG in public relations. Now, you know, ESG is such a vast topic. It covers everything about people and, and the planet, literally, you know, making a claim for public relations uh, as part of that inevitably um, is audacious. But, you know, w- we find c- clear opportunity uh, for PR in supporting planning, horizon scanning, metrics, reporting, and and so it goes on. It's a great piece of work. It was actually it was funded by Vulio. Um, so, you know, credits to them for... for yeah, Fulio have been great. I really like the direction they're going in. They've always um, been brilliant supporters of Future Proof, um, but um, genuinely the content that they're commissioning but also sharing at the moment is incredibly useful. So do check out, give them a follow, look at what they're doing. Uh, and keep your eyes peeled because um, I know that Michelle Goodall is working over there and um, wherever Michelle is, there is good stuff to be had. Good stuff comes, yeah, yeah. good stuff comes. Yeah, so so look for that report. Um, it's a good good overview of ESG. Uh, we go back through the history of, of how it's emerged, how it's become such an important part, especially uh, an area of focus by the investor community uh, and how it's grown um, through the COVID-19 crisis um we spotlight call out numerous uh, third party initiatives frameworks metrics so really useful document for anyone in practice um that's about it i, I just want to close i've got a copy of david gallagher and jono's o'brien book truth be told to to read i don't know if you've had, had a quick look at that it's a great book i mean also again um david and john both been sharing content from that on twitter if you want to know whether to buy it we would say Absolutely, one hundred percent. But take uh, take a look on there if you want to to test a bit out, because um, there are some really great in- insights and some practical stuff in there that I defy anybody not to have a copy and not to find it of use. It's very of its moment, and uh, certainly we're keeping it by the desk, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, and then you've got shout out to Richley and the team at Radio Radioactive. Huh? I have to. It has to be the last thing because the dogs come in to tell me it's t- her tea time and uh, she's giving me proper side eye. But um, basically, um, again, um, really nice to see Rich and his team at Radioactive. Uh, I've been thinking ahead, recognizing that people are gagging to get back out together in a, in a safe fashion, and they've booked two um, meetups. So. Um, so drink sessions um one in london which is i believe the first of july and the second one is 22nd of july in manchester so there's two one south base one more northern which one are we going to we're going to the one in london i'm not sure there are any tickets left but i'm sure if you spoke to rich you'd see what he can do um there's definitely a couple of tickets left for the manchester one but you know if you're if you're ready to get back out and and see people fill your boots brilliant thank you very much sarah until next time Thank you for listening to the Future Proof Podcast with Sarah and Stephen Waddington. You can follow Sarah on Twitter at Mrs. underscore Wads and Stephen at Wads. For more information about Future Proof, visit futureproofingcoms.co.uk. Until next time, see you on the internet.